We have better tools. I'm really excited about this. Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 389.5, recorded on Sunday, the 12th of June, 2022. Living the good life, I'm Bill. From hot and humid Texas, I'm Joe. From the outer rim, I'm Norbert. I'm just Moss. And we'd like to welcome our special guest, Steve Seguin. Is that how you say that? I apologize. It works for me. All right. Again. Thank you. Yeah, welcome welcome to Mentcast, Steve. Thank you. In our innards section, we interview Steve, creator of VDO.ninja. I'm really excited about this. And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. Moving on to our Linux innards, I, I suppose we'll do it this way. We we kind of decided on the fly. A keen eye, if you're if you're watching the YouTube uh, stream, you might notice that there is a slightly new and upgraded look to our video here. And I do not use the word upgraded lightly. This is fantastic, and this is all due to software called VDO.ninja, which is a browser-based, web-based solution for creating... I don't, I don't know. How would you describe it, Steve? I consider it a Swiss Army knife for live video production. What we were using before was we were basically shoehorning meeting software or Discord into a video stream on OBS Studio, and that's how we were making our shows. And it was fine, but it had its limitations, and this is clearly better. But anyway, we've brought the developer of that software, of that project, onto the show. And we'd like to thank you for coming on the show again, Steve. Thank you. Before we get to that, we'll ask you a couple of questions about yourself. So what what can you tell us? What's the elevator pitch on you? Okay. Uh, well, I'm in Toronto. I have a background in machine learning, live streaming, and I've been stuck in startups for the last 10 years or so now. And yeah, Video Ninja is a passion project, I call it. And I try to spend as much time on it as possible. I'm, I'm an uber geek, although I tend to keep to myself. Would you say Video Ninja probably occupies most of your time production-wise? or? Yeah. A any free time I have, um, with the exception of a couple uh, fleeting hobbies just to change pace now and then. But yeah, it gets all my time outside of cool. work, let's say. Um, so in addition to Video Ninja, what other what other projects have you got going on? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm technically uh, the CIO of a company called Stage 10, which is also in Toronto. They do live video production and a suite of uh, tools. But I'm only part-time there. I have uh, quite a few projects related to um, Video Ninja and kind of the live streaming space. Most of them are there to help uh, facilitate and our auxiliary tools for Video Ninja. I have applications. Uh, one is called Social Stream. This is a Chrome extension or a browser extension that also supports Firefox, and it will extract live text chat from live video streams. So YouTube, Twitch, Discord, Slack, Facebook, all those sites that have live video and live chat, it will scrape the live chat out in real time, funnel that text to a doc, some sort of dashboard, so you can uh, view and interact with that live video as a stream. And it has a production component, so you can overlay that into your live video production or featured chat. You can do bot actions, do voice to text, things like that. I have another project called Electron Capture, which is an Electron JS framework app. It's an alternative to Chrome. Um, it was originally intended for Mac users who were using OBS, but could not use a browser source in OBS because it didn't work at the time. And so I created this as a way to window capture into Mac OBS. 
and that was two years ago, and the project has evolved since then. Now it's being used by a growing community, people from D&D to people who find OBS to be too uh, computational heavy, and they're using that for both capture and basic production. Also, um, Video Ninja itself isn't necessarily always the best on something like Firefox or Safari, and for people who don't want to install Chrome or Edge, this uh, Electron Capture app is a substitute that you can compile yourself or download, um, and it does support Linux. There, there's a few uh, few other projects, but we could touch on those in, in, in a second, I guess. Yeah. I want no. you to know it is working on Firefox just fine, as you can see. Is that what you're using? My next question was actually going to be, tell us about some of your, your previous projects. So we're quite happy to hear about them. Yeah. Yeah, take your time. Yeah, I, I could go on all day about what I'm currently working on. There's something called a Raspberry Ninja project. So it's it's a project designed, again, to facilitate Video Ninja, where the notion is you can live stream from a Raspberry Pi, from a Jetson board, or from a Linux system to Video Ninja. And it does not use a browser. And this is one of the few ways you can actually transmit video in and out of Video Ninja without needing a browser. We use the GStreamer framework and Python. Uh, and so it's a, a scripted application that lets you uh, use the hardware encoder on a Jetson board, an NVIDIA board, or, or whatever to publish into the system that way. I, tr I maintain images for both the NVIDIA Jetson and the Raspberry Pi, so you can just download, install, and get going. Speaking of that, I'm currently updating the Raspberry Pi image for Bullseye um, and rebuilding that, and I'm running into compiling problems, but that's par for the course. Yeah, um, those are the biggest projects I'm managing right now. So the Raspberry Pi thing... Tell me a little bit more about how that works. Is that is that something where you're you're using that as your front end when you're broadcasting, or or how does that work? Yeah, let's say you want to have a dedicated camera, and you don't want to invest in a mobile phone, or you don't want to have a uh, a dedicated laptop. You can buy a Raspberry Pi two zero zero two, and you can connect the camera either via CSI port or via USB port to this little Raspberry. And the Raspberry has a H.264 hardware encoder at 1080p. And this script will encode the video into H.264 video format. And then it will uh, publish it to the peer-to-peer -peer based uh, Video Ninja system. So it's available to the browser. Your stream that is being put into the Raspberry Pi is now accessible by any browser on the internet without any additional servers, without any additional processing. And it's low latency, so you're, you're generally looking at around a few, anywhere between 100 to 200 milliseconds. Now, the other day when we were talking, you had mentioned um, several other Raspberry Pi projects that you had personally done and some of your home yeah. automation setup that you'd made yourself. And I know at least me and other people I assume would be very happy to hear about that. So I, I, I thought I had made a small list of ones that I have actively going. Um, one is an air quality meter. I bought one of these uh, volatile air quality meter chips so I can measure like CO2 and uh, Tolvox content of the air, part per million. And so I have that connected to a Raspberry Pi somewhere in this house over there, and it will give me alerts if the air quality goes above like 600 parts per million. I have a thermal camera. You can buy little thermal camera sensors. They're 60 to 100 bucks, let's say, for a decent thermal camera. You can wire it up to a Raspberry Pi, and then you can display the output on a small little tiny display. So 80 by 60 pixels, you can build your own thermal camera for about a hundred bucks. And so I made one of those for a past project uh, that was related to That's actually a really good price considering how much, you know, the yeah. thermal cameras that just connect up to your phone cost. Yeah, exactly. I was looking at the flares, even the used ones were hundred to $200. 
and there's no way to output it to like a, a to programmatically access it and to me there's no point in having a handheld device if i can't plug it into my computer i wanted to um do computational photography let's say so having it as a pi lets me load it directly into python and it comes in as just a bunch of uh, an array of numbers so you have to you have to understand how to use uh, matrices in python uh to make good use of it but then you can display that on a low uh, one frame per second display so it's it's not it's not heavy on a pi i have a little pirate radio with a DAC. again just wanting to make my own custom mp3 player that was mostly a pre-built kit but you can buy these little ups power supplies that have a lithium battery and so once you plug on the hat you get yourself like an hour a playtime on a little raspberry pi zero with your own little pirate radio station so that's uh, that's kind of a fun project there's lights behind me right over here that change color that's a tri-color led plugged into a raspberry pi one zero w and it's using i think there's a, a resistor too in in a little circuit but essentially the led is connected directly to the gpio pins and I think I'm, I don't, I don't recall offhand, but I think I'm using pulse width modulation to control the colors on those um, LEDs. And it, it manages it pretty well, and I just have it cycling through the hue spectrum. And that's when in Python, it auto-loads up on boot. I know I, know I shouldn't be wiring LEDs directly to uh, the GPIO pins. I think there's a current problem there, but it works. If you burn out your Pi Zero, what have you really lost? Right. I mean, 15 bucks, get another one. Exactly. Get up and going again in no time. Are those hard to get right now, the Zeros? Everything's hard to right. get right now. Yeah. Sold it a stock. Well, I mean, if it works, it works. I, I'm lucky that I had a large collection prior to, to COVID. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice little buffer. Probably make a decent little bit of money on that right now. I'm not willing to part with any of mine, though. <laughs> I've got a Pi 3 I'm willing to get rid of. Oh, I wouldn't not, do it. Not my 4. Yeah, Pi 3s are still pretty good. They still meet the minimum. Yeah, Depends they... on what I can get for it, Bill. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. If it's enough to like pay off your house, then yeah, sure. <laughs> um, Don't have a house, Bill. No. Okay, then pay your rent up for five years or something. I don't know. So, all right. Here comes the tense questions. Or at least they're tense in our little niche of the community. What OS do you use normally when you're doing your work? So I have about 20 cloud servers and co-location and VPS servers running. Those I primarily try to use Ubuntu server. And that tends to be my favorite distro. Uh, very simple, up-to-date packages. I enjoy using that a lot. Uh, I'm comfortable with Debian. I'm obviously comfortable with any of the embedded boards, so I'll use um, Raspbian or the Debian version of what NVIDIA provides. And, and those are what I use uh, broadly. I, I have a desktop, an, an older quad-core that has Ubuntu desktop on it, and I use that in my living room. I wish they still called it Raspbian. I don't really understand why they changed it to Raspberry Pi OS. That's a bit of a kludge. I'll never change. And it's hard to, like, remember. Yeah, yeah. You're not alone. I guess it's more straightforward because, let's say, someone is has never gotten into Linux, but their Raspberry Pi was their way of getting into Linux, and they don't even know what Debian is. Maybe it doesn't make sense, the name Raspbian for them. I mean, if you know what Debian is, their name Raspbian just sounds great. But maybe Raspberry Pi OS is just less confusing for people. I suppose. I feel like people so that are going to... No in... Mint, Steve? Oh, yeah, yeah. I tried getting into Linux when I was in grade 9. I I think I downloaded Red Hat and got it, got it on CD from someone. Oh, Lord. And put me off from Linux for a few years. How long ago was that? That was 1996, I think. Okay, so... Around there. Yeah, I didn't get into it until about 2002, so... We're the same age. I first looked at Red Hat in 2002, and it was unusable to me in those days. Now, you can get Red Hat now, and it's usable thanks to Flatpaks 
for most people. And maybe the, what do they call that special uh, repository for Apple? extra packages? Apple repository. You can get some stuff, but not, I mean, it's, it's not really meant for normal human beings to use anyway. But arguably, we, you know, we Mint users are Ubuntu users. I don't mind admitting that. We've just got a couple layers on top of Ubuntu. That's how it works, you know. We have better tools. Although I've got all of those same tools installed on my arch boxes through the AUR too, so that's a thing. But I mean, when you do your development work, is that usually on Linux or is that on Windows? Or it, it depends. All the server side code I write is on is on Linux. Um, as I mentioned, I usually write that in Vim. Okay. When I'm doing more application work. Depends on what I'm writing. I I have Windows, Apple, and Linux. It all just depends on the application. Plus, it's probably useful to have at least a little bit of knowledge in all of those when you're supporting a piece of software that's you want to make sure that it's running on all of these platforms. I, I spend a lot of time on Linux supporting people. Like with the Raspberry Ninja project, I have three different Jetson boards. They have different hardware versions that people use. And unlike Raspberry Pis, the images and, and the system don't necessarily, they aren't as cross-compatible or as easy to make them cross-compatible. So I have to have three different images running to support people. Yeah. So what uh, what projects do you have planned for the future then? Uh, I'm, I'm always working on Video Ninja, of course. And currently I've been the last few months working on version 22 which includes a, a mixer a functionality, so you can actually start mixing the video with custom layouts in the browser. The Electron Capture app is going to have RGMP and, and that sort of functionality added to it. So in the future, you'd be able to do simple publishing to YouTube or other destinations with just uh, the Electron app and a, a browser, essentially. So no OBS in the middle? Just directly off the... For something as simple as like just a, a podcast where you don't intend to do much mixing, other than maybe a screen share, this, this could be a solution for you. What was the primary objective of creating Video Ninja? So I, I built it for myself in 2017 as, a, as what I call the legacy version. And I've been involved in this live streaming space since around 2015. And then the notion of being able to bring video into OBS via a browser source when that was a, when that became possible a few years ago got me really excited. Uh, I just opened up all these ideas, but no one seemed interested at the time with what I put out. And then when COVID started to creep by, uh, no one could get a webcam and everyone was forced to do remote work. And I had a sudden surge of interest in a way to remotely bring their phone into their computer wirelessly, or mainly for free. And so I, I re-released uh, Video Ninja. Uh, at the time it was called OBS Ninja. And I, I got a, quite a surge of traffic from people who were just trying to use their phones as webcams uh, and using OBS and using the virtual camera functionality in OBS to do that. But these... Is that built in? I'm not. I'm not sure how that particular aspect works using your your camera that way, because I always use a Droid Cam to get that done. Yeah. So on PC and Mac, the virtual camera is now built into OBS. It wasn't previously. It was a plugin a few years ago, but now when you install OBS, you you get the virtual camera. On Linux, you uh, depending on which version you download, you might need to add it on extra. Video four loop back or whatever. It yeah, is. you need a kernel module out of tree module, I think, make that work. But in, in that case, you can bring any sort of remote camera feed, even a Raspberry Pi, into your OBS and use that as your web camera. That's kind of not the focus of Video Ninja at the moment. Right now, it's more for professional video production. Group rooms with a focus on letting the director create any show format, anything they want. And I've just shoved every feature under the sun into it while I've been trying to maintain a simple UI, although uh, it's constantly iterating. It's never quite good enough. 
Yeah, and and I'll add, it is as it's either simple or complicated because right now I've got you can run this without the director panel, but I have a director's panel up um, where I can control certain aspects of the stream and I can fix problems with other people's setup, which we did in the beginning when Moss when we first started the stream, Moss had the wrong microphone working and he was a bit stifled by it and i was able to bring down some settings and and change the microphone that it was using and all he had to do was what confirm my audio said that i had the right microphone but it wasn't coming through to bill that way and i was able to fix that so you've got you do literally have all of the configuration you could want or you could run it without it and that that's that's always been interesting yeah since I've started using this. So like Video Ninja is free and it's on GitHub. Uh, it's a free, I, I primarily focus it as a free to use service. So I, I host it online at video.ninja. But if you wanted to download it yourself, customize it, you can. And I, I just enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy helping people on this project. And it's a little bit of a sandbox for me to play with ideas. So to be clear in the way it works, I don't know if a lot of people don't really have a, real understanding of how the streaming streaming process works this is connecting to something server side but then once that's all the magic of that happens then all of the connections are peer-to-peer can you can you explain a little bit how that works yeah we have a notion of a stream id it's like a telephone number where you uh, can check in with the server with your stream id and you can also request a stream ID. And the same notion works with a room. You can check into a room or request a room. And the server is really just a routing table. Someone's looking for the stream ID and someone's asking for it. It will simply make a, a bridged connection between those two people. So those two people can then talk to each other via the server. The first few seconds of that process is called a handshake where you're trading information about your IP address and how you want to connect. Once that information's been traded, the, the two computers can now make a direct peer connection so they can talk to each other directly. And all the data bypasses the server at that point, And you now talk directly. Uh, once you have that data connection set up, you can then facilitate turning on your camera, your audio, and that connection is also sent um, peer to peer. So all the transcoding or anything like that is being done client-side? Okay. So I'm able to keep the service free because I, about 90% of the um, the overhead is being done by the peers. Uh, there, there's a few edge cases where two peers may not be able to connect due to firewall issues, for example. And I do have a deployment of servers that facilitate rerouting of traffic, kind of like a, B, a VPN of sorts for those people who cannot make a direct connection. So client side then, I mean, in terms of the server, because you mentioned that this is open source, it's on GitHub, and it's completely self-hostable as well. And based on what you're describing, um, there's very little in terms of resources required server side to make any of this happen because it's all just peer-to-peer. Yeah. So you, re- you, could, you could, in theory, run the server on a raspberry pi then or absolutely yeah 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 i have a slightly odd question this being free open source self-hostable all of that thank you for providing that to the community first of all uh, yeah. second yeah. of all do you make money on video ninja no well no okay i i do get some people asking to sponsor the project i, I didn't take any sort of donations for the first six months or so, but it started becoming a little persistent. So I, if you do go into the, the documentation and you search for sponsor, you can find I have like a buy me coffee page and things like that. But after the, the cost of the servers are, are accounted for, it's close to breaking even on that front. Well, for crying out loud, folks, Mintcast listeners, if you're looking for a project to uh, send up a, a little bit of this, that, or the other too, this is, this is definitely a worthwhile project. Buy him some coffee. Yeah, buy him a coffee. It's a project of, of love and passion. I, I, it always is, hey, but I mean, sometimes... you for your passion... Yeah. If you're watching our video feed, 
you will be able to go back and look at our past video feeds and you will see the difference. It seems like Steve's not really looking to make money from this. Then that's perfectly fine. If passion project, if he wants to keep it that way, that's cool. It's just some of us would probably like to buy you a coffee anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but when the passion runs out, it's nice to have a little money in the bank. Things like reporting bugs. If you have a feature request, uh, making those, those, those are very valuable to me as well. Uh, donations, I, I very much appreciate. They give me a lot of motivation, but just reporting a bug it, it helps me a lot because this project needs to be stable for it to be usable. And so that, that's very important. Well, we, we have this culture in Linux and open source where we, we understand that contribution is, means everything up to and including anything from reporting bugs, using the software, all the way up to, well, I mean, it starts with just letting a guy know, hey, this is a great project. I just want you to know that this this is a great piece of software, great job. I mean, you know, there's a lot of crap out there. And all the way up to giving a guy, you know, a few bucks here and there, because it's all fine and good to say that a project is is free, but it's it's nice when somebody's able to pay the bills and still have the time to make this thing, you know. And there's if we was to make a list of truly worthy projects, you know, where somebody is making something that actually worked, this this has got to be towards the top of the list, and not just for technical people, because I've my other podcast is obviously not geared towards technical people, and we've been using this since we first heard from Destination Linux that they started using it. And we've never had a problem. Those two guys are usually on the stream before I am, and they're talking back and forth, and they've never had any issues. So, yeah, this is a fantastic project, Steve. There's been some interesting challenges along the way. One of the, I tried to have a, a philosophy uh, when I went into this in terms of how I wanted it to work. So I wanted it to be truly serverless, for example, and I wanted it to be free. And when you try to build an application that's serverless, um, it really forces you to think outside the box. Uh, there aren't user accounts, for example, and that makes it a little bit hard for people to wrap their heads around rooms and, and user accounts because there, there isn't any sort of central server uh, authenticating users. There's no database. Everything is really trying to be client-side, and I've only added servers where it absolutely has to be. That was, I mean, admittedly, I didn't really understand. I loved it, but I didn't really understand how it was working at first. And the thought that I've got, I've got some rudimentary understanding of this stuff, but the concept of there not being a server in the middle working all this out just almost at first seemed magical to me. You know, you know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, I can see that that being a big deal. What kind of bugs are you still experiencing right now? I, I had a Firefox bug reported to me today, so I was working on that. I, th I fixed... It wasn't by Moss, was it? The, Firefox does get used, and there, there are some issues with Firefox now and then. One issue I fixed was um, a cam link wasn't uh, working um, at certain resolutions. It, it would time out. Other devices would work, but a cam link would not. Now, I've also had one report of... You also mentioned this, I believe, the other day, where audio, someone wasn't able to hear someone. I haven't been able to replicate that, but that's something I'm investigating. Well, we had a problem doing distro hoppers where two of us were on Linux Mint with Matei desktop, and ours were working fine. The other people were on something else with GNOME desktop, and we were only getting the left channel, and it wasn't even totally clear. He was on Fedora, and Fedora has gone over to Pipewire full on. I wonder if that's got anything to do with it. And it was three or four weeks ago when we had tested Video Ninja for this, and I had the issue where it wasn't picking up my audio sources or my input sources. But some of that could have been that, you know, I have a lot of input sources hooked up to my other computer, and... Well, one of them had been in use on Discord right before that, so maybe it wasn't able to capture it. 
Well, as stated, we were not using it. Nobody had the director's screen up, so we did not know to try and fix it right. using that. It's worth taking the time to learn some of that or taking a look at it and playing with it. Was everyone using it in Firefox? I do not know. I know that Tony and I were, but ours were working fine. Because the client side of things is just all running inside the browser. Uh, does uh, to make it uh, work across all platforms? Does it just have to do? Did you just have to make sure it works uh, for both Chromium and Firefox, or if, was there something uh, additional that you had to do for different uh, operating systems? Or does uh, Firefox and Chrome just handle how yeah. it talks, uh, how it sends audio and video to the operating system? So, yeah, there, there's a W. There's an organization that has a standard. A bunch of standard APIs, and I need to communicate just with that. Firefox, Chromium, and Safari have slight variations on on how the on what supported. Currently, none of them support the full spec completely, and some of them do their own interpretation of the spec. It's a little bit odd if you have it just on the left channel, for example, because I'm I'm, I'm actually requesting mono audio by default. So if it's coming out the left channel, then something's really odd. Well, it's it's not beyond the realm of possibility that the somebody had settings wrong somewhere, because that does sound odd to me too. But again, uh, I know Josh, he he's on Fedora, right, Moss? Which means if he's running the latest version of Fedora, then he's on that Pipewire stack. So I don't know. It it sounds like it would have more to do with that than it would the desktop itself. Well, we do definitely have more things to to look at when we try it again next month. Is it yeah. working fine for me? Because I'm also on Fedora with Pipewire, and I'm I'm not sure if it would depend on Pipewire or Pulse Audio because Pipewire is just emulating the Pulse Audio server. So as far are you in Firefox yes. or Chrome? I don't know how Pipewire and Pulse Audio work, but I would imagine that as far as Firefox is concerned. It believes it's just talking to Pulse Audio because Piper is just starting a and running a Pulse Audio server. So I are you on Firefox right now, yes. Norbert? The flatback of Firefox. And that's it, working fine. Yep. Yeah. You fixed it, Steve. You fixed it. <laughs> Those are the best problems. Fantastic. The UI itself is great because. We are, as, as we see it in the browser, everyone just basically has his their own uh, video feed. These are just like separate uh, video players. I could even wind back in separate people's streams. So it's it's not like one giant. It's not. It doesn't. It it sort of looks like a uh, conference or meeting uh, software, but it's like if like it's like a multi video player. And it's nice. Now, are you you guys all seeing this the way OBS is displaying it, where we're in kind of an L-shaped yep. thing yeah. with the... Yeah, okay. Fantastic. Each one of us is a separate in, input stream in OBS, right? Or is it just no, one stream? No, it's streaming. I've got a uh, HTTPS address that I, that I plug into the, the browser component of OBS, which your distro's repo version does not have. I had to get the Flagpack version of OBS in order to get this feature for whatever reason. What distro? Mint or Arch? Or, well, yeah, okay, Mint. Okay. I think I had it out of the box with Arch, but... I've heard with... about the, the Arch version of OBS missing a lot of features, but the OBS is the official ones, so it should have everything. Yeah, this the Flatpak version seems to be up to date, and it has the feature I need in order to pipe it. But, like, the director's panel gives you... I've got little uh, controls for each one of you guys. I can... Boy, I could mess your world up right now. <laughs> and change... You know, I can I can change things. I can fix problems from here. And I've got control. You've got a link play with this sometime you've got a you've got the link up here that you can copy into the browser and then you've also got a link to send off to invite people into the stream 
So if we wanted to bring somebody else on, we could copy and paste this link and you can add to that string. That's the word I was think, trying to think of earlier. You can add to this string all of the customizable options to set up their stream for, uh, let's see, you've got, oh gosh, you've got pro audio mode. Um, oh gosh, there's all kinds of stuff on here. Um, you've got some stuff to optimize for low C CPU bandwidth, and I've got an option on here to display names with the video, all kinds of stuff. Enable or disable the raise hand button. I assume that's so that if you're in a meeting and you want to, like, interject into somebody talking, you can put the raise hand up, just like you got on Jitsi. For a moment. Where you can... Yeah. But uh, you can set that up and add it to the string. That way those things are enabled or disabled per user invite, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, and then you've, got, you've also got some customizable options that you can add to the string before you pipe it off to OBS, too. Like, uh, you've got... Oh, you can hide the audio-only sources. So, like, you you got this concept of uh, when you when we're in the Discord channel, and if somebody only has an audio feed, you've still got screen real estate being taken up by the little the box with the picture of their icon and all that. Well, you've got an option here to disable that, where the, you've still got their audio coming through, but you don't have screen real estate being taken up by their picture or whatever. And you've got an option here to, well, you got pro audio mode. I'm not sure. What does that do, Steve? It's a flag that has a, a several smaller flags set. It does things like disable echo cancellation, noise reduction. Uh, it enables stereo. It increases the audio bitrate. This is for people who, when they're doing a podcast, they want to record all the streams, let's say, on, on the OBS side. And so you want to have um, as close to a clean recording as possible. Oh, so maybe we should be using that on three fat truckers because that's how I, that's how we make that show is I just, instead of streaming like we are now, I, I use the record function. So pro audio would be a good idea for something like that then. Uh, I hide it behind a flag because it, it, it is a more advanced feature. Things like echo cancellation, auto gain. Those are things that... You need to know how to use, otherwise you could cause a lot of problems if you turn them off. And presumably you would use more uh, processor It's going to use more bandwidth if power. you have a higher bit rate. Okay. Yeah. And then you've also got the option, this isn't part of the, part of the customized string, uh, string, but you've also got the option to move people around on the, on the screen by certain options within each it's a little hard for me to describe how that's done but you you do have that option to move people around if you if it matters where people are geographically on the screen and you know all these things are done from the director's panel yeah there's i get quite a lot of feedback on how people want that director panel to look and so for the last six months i've been working on the next version of it and I, that, that's available for public access behind another URL flag or an, an, an address. But it's letting you do things like custom layouts. So instead of having the layout that you see right now kind of auto-mix, you can actually choose where people are positioned as if you're using OBS. Um, and you can switch between those layouts in the browser. And it, it's just a whole lot prettier. It's just it's hard to try to incorporate all the features into a new interface that's both simple and powerful. Yeah. Well, you've got powerful down, I'll tell you that. Uh, no arguing there. I think if you go to the docs at docs.video.ninja, there's like 200 parameters that you can toggle on and off. And when it comes to simple, oh gosh, I don't know. I'm not a good person for... I would never be able to get a job in user interface design because my idea of things that are simple uh don't act don't necessarily line up with other people's in, in my opinion most people want things where all the complicated stuff is hidden away and you've just got a lot of sane defaults and 
you really have to go digging for the deep down customization. And to me, that just makes things more difficult, you know. So I wouldn't even know how to simplify something like this. It's a challenge for me, too. I've never claimed to be a UX expert. Yeah, I mean, there there are people. I mean, that's that's an entire field of endeavors all, all to itself. So it, one question I've had, though, let's say I've got this uh, control room up. Now, arguably, this, this isn't the best way. If I didn't have OBS in front of me right here, you know, this wouldn't be the most comfortable way to interact with you guys as we're making the show. Now, if I had this up and then brought it up in a browser window in addition to that, Am I doubling my resource usage, or am I not working that out right in my head? The, the director requests a very low-quality, low-bitrate preview of each of the guests in the room. It's about 300 pixels uh, wide, uh, so it, it's very low load when you have the uh, director window open. You can... Join the room as a guest as well and have the same experience as us and have the director's room open. You can pause all the preview windows in OBS or in the director's room. There's a little button to all those incoming streams if you want to. There's also a simple dock a functionality that you can actually add to OBS. It has some of the basic functionality that can be dockable right into OBS. So if I mute within the director's panel. I'm not actually muting the stream per se. I'm just muting my intake of it and it would still keep playing for everybody yeah. else. Each guest will have a set of buttons and one of them will be mute guest or mute in scene. Those will mute the individual guests. Okay. Any of the lower control bar options are for you and you only. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that is fantastic. So what else, guys? Anything else? What do you think we didn't cover, Steve? I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to talk about anything. Yeah. What else you got going on? You, got, you, you said something the other day about 3D yeah. printers, and I know you and Joe can go down the rabbit hole I, with that. I grabbed some things here to mention a few things. Okay. We mentioned a, uh, a there it is. violin, right? So... if you can hear that it doesn't sound all that good yeah. to me but um it was a a test run and there's a, a metal rod going through it holding it together my hope was to and you said you had that strung previously right it, the metal bar the metal rod going through the back it's not very strong but it, it's all one single layer it's not quite a vosma but it, it is a, a one one wall layer my goal is to print it in this rose slash gold multicolor filament to make it look like an actual violin with like tonation. But I kind of got a little discouraged after doing the, the test version. I'm not quite happy with what I got yet, so I'm still looking to make improvements on that. You said you previously had it strung, right? Yeah. For a, a little while. Here's the um the little bridge. I I have. Other violins, but I don't have enough strings for all three guitars or all three violins right now. So I I, I move them around a bit. I, I kind of just keep this as a decoration piece at this point. Other things, like I also have a 3D scanner. So it's actually on my monitor. So this is a stereoscopic camera by Intel. And you can download software for it that will let you do 3D scanning. So one of the things I can do is I can scan myself in as a model, and then I can build custom... Well, in this case, I printed out uh, what I call custom armor. I, I printed a 3D mold of my chest, and then I layered Kevlar and uh, graphene in an epoxy to make this um, one-inch thick kind of like bullet-resistant chest plate, which I thought was kind of neat because it fits your chest exactly. That is neat. So yeah, I, I used graphene and some boron material and like layers of 
like uh, Kevlar and something called ultra high molecular density fabric, and it. Uh, I'll never test it. I don't own a gun or anything like that, but um, it's just one of those material science things that gets me kind of excited to try. And, well, for reasons we won't discuss here, that's a marketable item uh, in smaller sizes here in the United States. It fits perfectly, too, because you can just 3D scan it. It fits perfectly, and it, uh, it doesn't bite into your edges or anything like that. Kind of, neat, kind of nice. Yeah, that is excellent. What else you got made? I have one project that I don't know if I'll go too much into, but I buy these little lenses, these little filters. These are band pass light filters. They let very narrow bands of light through. And I, I build them into kind of like a um, an array, let's call it. And I put some Sony camera sensors behind them and I'm able to then do something called multispectral or hyper hyperspectral in this case multispectral photography where you can take a single photo and get snapshots of what you took a picture of but in 20 different frequency bands so your eyes see with like these pretty broad RGB ranges but with a multi-spectral camera, you can get very narrow band, many bands of it. I do a lot of like machine learning and AI work processing that spectral data, trying to make some some pretty cool uh, results with that spectral data. Anyways, that's a little little side project as well. Way cooler than the stuff that I print. That's <laughs> good. I was going to say, what do you got, Joe? <laughs> oh, well, like um, my, my, my daughter oh, a long time ago made me, uh, you know, this coaster for my side table. But then I switched side tables and it has, um, there's just this like ridge in my side table. And this, I, I made this adapter just so it would perfectly fit into that ridge so it doesn't slide around or fall off the edge of my table. I got, um, well, this is just the stuff I have inside. I showed you other stuff um, the other day. But then, you know, I got like a 3D printed Hulk here. And then like a fully 3D printed coaster with the adapter built in so that it fits into my side table. And just stuff like that. And then, you know, I always show off the... You mentioned the headphone uh, hinges and broken pieces, uh, replacement pieces. Oh, yeah, lots and lots of that those. That orange piece on your microphone is 3D yeah, that, printed. that orange piece on my microphone, I designed and 3D printed that. The casings for my headphones here with my MMCX adapter, so uh, I 3D printed that th those, and um, I, I took somebody else's design and modified it so that the, the one more's triple drivers would fit into here properly. And then I have another one that I um, redesigned for the uh, Samsung Level U drivers because the Samsung Level U sucks except for the drivers. And then even those have a bit of a half-life. And so with the casings and the MMCX mod, I can use it with all the my MMCX headsets that I made and that works out really well and then I can't think of what else I have around here that's 3d printed oh I'm um, like um, hangers for my headphone headphones that are on the the back side of my laptop table those are all 3d printed I have um port replicator from thinkpad or from Lenovo that's thinkpad branded that I have a mount that I 3D printed, and that's also on my table here. And then uh, I know I have some more stuff just basically all around my living room that, uh, you know, just to make my life a little bit easier that I have made and printed out. My design skills are still rudimentary, but I haven't exactly dedicated a lot of time to improving it either, so... I was going to ask about that with something like that violin. Did you, how did you design 
something that did you use something like that camera to violin? no create a matrix uh, i wish yeah. i could design it uh, I, I i modify it a bit but there's a project like an open source project and they put out new versions and updates trying to get the sound better and it's kind of like a community feedback and so this is um like version four or five of that particular model they released now are they on on uh, they post that design on Thingiverse, or do they post that on it's another on their own, their own uh, website? It wasn't on Thingiverse, I don't think. Like, um, if we really wanted to talk three D design, we'd have to get Fui back on because, yeah, he knows three D design in and out. So you started with a some uh, a design that was already out there, and then. Uh... Added I'll, to I'll it or basic designs. Um, like I can uh, use some of these 3D tools that will make screws for you, and I can do basic shapes. If a part breaks in my house, I need to print out like a leg for a, a table. I can do that using design software. Now, like um, I, I use Tinkercad, Tinkercad's great just because it's it's blindingly simple, and I, I know that. Fweeb use it. Which which one is it that he uses? That Fweeb use or does the three D design for? I don't know who you're talking about. You don't know who? Okay, that's because it's on one of my other shows. It's on. Um, oh, okay. Um, what is it? Um, the Linux Lugcast that he was on constantly, and uh, I I can't remember. But you know, uh, AutoCAD. It, there's just. So so much stuff there that you could possibly use and it, it's actually a little bit intimidating to try and get in there and, and, and properly design things and then you watch youtubers like ben heck just start like making stuff on there it's just absolutely insane how he can just press a couple of buttons and, and be able to design a one-handed controller for an xbox Wow. Well, all right. Anything else, guys? Nothing? Nobody? Norbert? Go ahead. So you mentioned, Steve, you mentioned that uh, a substantial part of Video Ninja was uh, is using Python. Is that right? So the, the Raspberry Ninja project is all in Python. Yeah. So what I, what I want to ask uh, what uh, the both the the server side and the client side part of Video Ninja, what what programming languages uh, are they written in and what how are those made? So the client side is all in vanilla JavaScript. So I I I, I try to do everything from the ground up. Yeah, there's no particular framework. It's just. My, my chicken scratch code and on the server side there the, the code that i've uh, contributed on the on the server side has been uh done in node.js just to align with the client side code packages that relate to things like the video relay component so if you are behind a firewall and you need a, a server to facilitate like a vpn sort of bypass that's another open source project called Coturn. I simply provide instructions on how to deploy that server uh, and how to set it up to use it with uh, Video Ninja, but that's outside the scope of what I'm supporting directly. So I don't get yelled at later. I am going to mention that um, Fweeb is a developer for Blender. Oh, that's quite a behemoth right there. <laughs> All right, so, okay couple of things to wrap up for anybody interested in the project where uh, where should they go obviously vdo.ninja is not just the name of the software that's literally the domain you go to on your browser if anybody hasn't figured that out yet and it's spelled three letters so vdo yeah not video and that'll be linked in the show notes as well where would one go is it is is there links on that page to contribute or uh, where would somebody go if they wanted to uh, toss a little bit of coin your way and interact with you you can find the github at github.video.ninja 
There's a sponsor link through the GitHub page there if you'd like. If you want to see the documentation, that's at docs, uh, doc.video.ninja. Uh, there's all the information you need is there in some way or another. I'm always on Discord, and that's discord.video.ninja. And that's where you can find live support if you have questions. And that's where I try to make myself available. Fantastic. Well, thank you again one more time for being on thank the you. show, Steve. We would we would gladly have you back anytime. But that that wraps up that section of the show. Moving on to the vibrations from the ether. Uh, we don't have any. There you go. But I, I trust that since we've done a massive dump of, I don't even know how many episodes it was, it's at least eight. nine. Eight, okay. I think. It might have been nine. Something like that. It might be, it's it's going to be an odd number because the last episode 13, was... Thirteen, actually. <laughs> I just got it in my head. <laughs> Thirteen. Nice number. I like it. Yeah. And the great oh, thing is boy. that uh, you, we managed to fix that 10 episode limit in the RSS feed because if yes. we uploaded 13 episodes, it would just overflow and the first three would just disappear. But yeah. I, I, I'm really glad that we have 300 episodes in the feed. I'm happy I was able to figure that out because that was a huge limitation and it turned out to be a simple one. But if you don't know, you don't know, you know. So drop us some emails. Get on Telegram. Get on MeWe, whatever. Let us know something so we can talk about it next We got episode. all kinds of I'm ways to get a hold of us. I don't think anybody's actually watching the MeWe anymore. I'm not even sure I know what that is. MeWe.com. Is it a yeah. social network? It's attempting to be a replacement for uh, Facebook, but failing miserably <laughs> at this point. They've yeah, let's replace something that shouldn't viewers. exist. What I would like to promote is the Mintcast Telegram channel, which is, I think it's the, the main platform where you can reach us if you want to chat. Or if you're We need to make another channel that's specifically for feedback, questions, anything like that that people want on the show. Instead of our main feed, which, you know, we answer stuff there too, but we don't usually put that onto the show. That could be a room on the Discord, for example. Yeah, that's the thing about Discord. You can, I, I, do, I don't like it because it's not open source. But if we had a matrix, I think you can have multiple rooms on a matrix. We have a lot more users on Telegram we than Discord. Do we really? Do we do have a matrix? We had a matrix. Do we have one? There's still the bridge. It still gets posted to. I didn't know we had a matrix. You a social networking guy? Steve, by any means whatsoever? I like to track news on Twitter. Otherwise, no. Okay. So, a regular human being. All right. We're on Twitter, I think. I think I've seen us out there somewhere. Why don't we get into that? That's in her housekeeping announcements, isn't it? Yes, it is. So, uh, in our housekeeping and announcements, thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. We'll have to change that. But it's it's still the it's not the going away, right? No, it's not. And to be and to be clear, we do have mintcast at mintcast.org and mintcast at gmail.com. And I've got both of those set up on my Thunderbird here because I had changed a lot of our business stuff over to the at Gmail address. So when when Google turned around and backpedaled on all that, I got a I got a little angry because it was <laughs> that's that's just how Google is. You know, they they think nothing of. First off, they go and rip this rug out from underneath people, and then people make all these huge infrastructure changes around all of their crap and then 
oh, well, you know what? Maybe not, you know. So join us live on YouTube, post at the Mintcast subreddit, chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. Our next episode will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on June 26, 2022. There's a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone. Uh, our next live stream will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on June 18th, 2022. Let me make something clear about that, too. We do our live stream on Saturdays, opposite of the Sundays that we do the show, and that is really meant to be a very informal, community-driven platform, meaning anybody on Discord... You're all invited to join. Please Get on and talk to us, in. yeah. Yeah, get on there and tell... Uh, you, know, you could use that just to have your five minutes of fame because we do stream that and we don't we don't mind whoever wants to come in and join the conversation we usually don't we use that as kind of a meeting space i suppose but we would really like some uh community participation i i i liken it to that new thing they've got on destination linux the uh linux saloon and they they've got a lot of people I've seen Normert on Linux Saloon. Live stream information is at mintcast.org slash live stream. In the wrap up, where can we find you at, Joe? Well, you can catch me on a couple of my other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which you can find at tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, which is at linuxlugcast.com. You can email me, jb at mintcast.org, or you can buy me a coffee on Kofi. Moss? Well, you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News. We do Distro Hoppers Digest every four or five weeks. You can email me at bardmoss at pm.me, and all my other information can be found at itsmoss.com. Bill? Well, you can uh, email me at uh, bill at mintcast.org. I'm bill underscore H on Discord. I'm also at WC Hauser3 on Twitter and WC Hauser3 on Facebook as well. Also, check out my other podcast. Uh, the website for that is 3ftpodcast.org, but the name of the show is 3 Fat Truckers. And we. That show is at 3 o'clock p.m. on the opposite weekends of Mintcast. So, yeah, check out Mintcast one Sunday and then 3FT the next, if you just can't get enough of me. Norbert, go ahead. I'm sorry. I actually listened to a couple of episodes of uh, Three Fat Trackers, and uh, I learned a couple of stuff from Bill, like various interesting uh, use cases for buckets, for example. Yes. Yeah, we got some interesting information on there. You can send me an email at norbert at mincast.org and I actually made a Mastodon account on the Fostodon instance. So it's F-O-S-S-T-O-D-O-N.org, Fostodon. And my handle is at odobinus at fostodon.org. Odobinus as in the scientific name for the Voras. So O-D-O-B-E-N-U-S. I'm not, I'm not doing a very good job of making a Usernames that are very easy to write down based on hearing, but anyway. So Nishant couldn't be here with us today, but you can reach him at Nishant at midcast.org. He's Rikon Ghost on Instagram, uh, Rikon Ghost at GitHub, and Ghost.Rikon on Discord. Also Maverick00783 at Steam. Steve, are you... Uh, you got any socials you want to share for you personally? Uh, you can always find me on Discord at uh, discord.video.ninja. Uh, that's where you can find me. If you want to email me, uh, there's links on video.ninja, but you can also probably use Steve at video.ninja as well. Great. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Steve, for being an incredible guest. Oh, who put that on there? <laughs> Moss. For our audio editing, 
you somebody took out the audio editing. Yeah, because I realized we sort of have a vacancy and we haven't decided who's going to do the episode, the editing for this episode. Yeah, Londoner volunteered for that. And we also want, we should also shout out Tony H and everyone else who helped with editing the the back catalog. Our thanks to everybody who who uh, lined up to lend a helping hand. We got it under control, and it should and is a team effort to make these things happen. Josh Lowe and myself, I guess, if that's appropriate to say, for all the work on the website. Hobstar for our logo, Annette RD for the animated Discord logo, uh, Londoner for our time sinks, I guess myself for hosting the Linode, which runs our website, archive.org for hosting our audio files, and last but certainly not least, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about each fortnight. Thanks, Thanks Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of The Mintcast.